Have a look at Luke chapter 16 and look verse 19, please. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried away by, by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lifted up, he, he lift up his eyes, being in, what's that word there? Torments. Let's pray. I decided to preach on this subject, the reality of an eternal torment, because lately I've been witnessing a high volume of religious people being SDAs and JWs, undermining a literal hell that goes on for all eternity. They will say things like, why will a loving God and send someone to burn in hell for all eternity? I hope to somewhat answer this question in, the, in this sermon, but before I do, please allow me to give you a few statements in the way of introduction. First of all, God does not punish people for no reason. All right? There are biblical reasons to why people, people end up in hell and spend a lifetime or eternity in hell. Second of all, God dealing with unrepentant sinners is not a lack of love from God's part. You know, God's wrath upon the ungodly is an expression of his uh, righteous judgment which stems from his holiness. Thirdly, we must understand the two great attributes of God. God, yes, is all loving, merciful, but at the very same time, he is holy and just. And we have to understand that about God. We can't just look at one area of God and you know, just reject the other characteristic of God. Now, allow me to give you a few disclaimers before we get started again by the way of introduction. First of all, preaching on hell is always a touchy subject. It is. It's an uncomfortable subject to preach on. And, and let me just say this, I'm completely aware of it. So I'm not gonna be insensitive uh, when I preach this, as much as I can, I want to try to be, you know, real and transparent, but at the same time, sensitive. However, by this message, I do not, you know, try to scare you into heaven, because I don't believe this is the intent of our uh, Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just declaring the reality of hell and the severity the seriousness of God's judgment, and by doing so, exposing those who wish to downplay the holiness of God. All right, however, the description that we're going to find in Luke chapter 16 is an, is a, is an account which, in essence, warns us from such a place. So yeah, in, 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 in one element, it, it helps us to stay clear from such a place. God doesn't want us in any way to end up in such a place. Okay, so this is very, you've got to be understanding that as, as well. And he gives us clear instruction of how to avoid such a place. Now, preaching on hell is not only a touchy, touchy subject, but it's, it's tough to preach on. It is, really. And I'll tell you why. Uh, people misunderstand you. So please don't think for a second that I desire anyone to go to hell by preaching this. 
Because that's what happens sometimes. You preach on hell, people misunderstand you. My desire is like God's desire, and God's desire is this. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has no pleasure to see the, the wicked perish in hell for all eternity. Many times a person preaching on hell could be falsely accused. We have it on the streets all, uh, most of the times. You, 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 I had it last night. I, I told him, you know, take one of these gospel tracts that shows you how to get to heaven. I said, no, no thank you. Well, I said, it beats going to hell. Well, and then I only said, no, thank you, but they actually giggled and laughed like they didn't want to go there. And I said, it beats going to hell. And one of the ladies turned to her, her friend and said, oh, he told me I was going to hell. I never said that. I want you to go to heaven. I don't want you to go to hell. And, I, and, and, and the truth of the matter is, people misunderstand, uh, you know, preachers or those that witness in such a way that they try to get them out of context and deflect the issue from themselves and from a holy God. This is the serious matter and we, we've got to take it seriously. Even though we preach and be misunderstood and accused, it must be declared. However, in saying that, there's no desire in my heart. Uh, as a matter of fact, again, it comes from God for me to see anyone end up in such a place. Now, there are different organizations out there that believe different things regarding the subject of hell. <clears throat> and I say organizations because many of them act in the name of church, and they're not the true church of the living God. Some believe that hell is a sanctifying place that simply, you know, uh, you know takes a, a, you know, a purifying effect when you're, when you're there. Similar like purgatory. In other words, you pay for your sins in hell, and once you've paid for them, you enter into heaven. Some believe that. That's just wrong teaching. It's not biblical. And uh, first of all, uh, we know and understand it's not biblical because it undermines the finished work of the Lord on the cross. Jesus, when he suffered and died on the cross, he suffered and died for the penalty of sin. John said, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. So you can never pay for your own sin because it was paid there on the cross. And the reason why you and I cannot pay for our sins because we have dirty, sinful hearts and God will not accept it. Jesus was a sinless Lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world. He's the only one that can pay for our sins. Now, second of all, the common belief among Christ denies is that hell is where people get totally annihilated. In other words, this is JWs, I think, believe this, and SDA, I believe, think this, that, you know, you end up in the lake of fire, but then all of a sudden, you are annihilated. Both of these false religions, by the way, teach that the wicked will simply die and cease to exist. So there's no more consciousness after death. You'll be thrown into the lake of fire and you'll just cease to exist. And that's what they believe hell is like. And then there are some people that uh, believe that hell refers only to the grave. That means that when it says hell that you're going to the grave and you've got to be buried and that's it. Now this is true in some instances as hell can be referred to the grave. But context will define the word. Not only this, but comparing scripture with scripture. In other words, hell can refer to the grave, but it also can be referred to a place of consciousness and eternal torment. Now, for example, let me give you some passages relating to this, of course, in our main passage. I'd like to point out several things. The context of the passage, the character of the rich, ungodly man, and then the curse of the rich, ungodly, repentant, unrepentant man. Now, Let's look at the first, the context. 
In Luke chapter 16, Jesus deals with several aspects that refer to being covetous, which leads to the sobering account. So if we look at Luke chapter 16, from verses 1 to 8, Jesus teaches a parable regarding a dishonored steward, the way he managed his affairs. And the parable conveys a man handling the master's funds in a dishonest manner. The manager was accused of uh, embezzling and misusing money that, he was entrust, that, that, that the master entrusted him with. Now, verses 9 to 12, Jesus teaches, uh, uses in his parable to help teach his followers the principle of stewardship and faithfulness. So everything that God has entrusted us from you know, material things and possessions uh, simply uh, to eternal things. So in other words, he says if you're faithful with the little, then God will give you uh, things that he'll entrust you with, but eternal things. Now in verse 13, Jesus challenges his hearers with a profound fact. Have a look at verse 13. He says this, No servant can serve two masters. He says, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And this is after sharing this parable and trying to convey to his disciples and those that are hearing uh, the, the principle of stewardship and how we handle money. And he says, you can't serve both. You can't have both. You can use money, but you can't serve it. It can't be a master to you. You can't be in love with it, for the love of money is the root of all evil. So you have a choice. You either serve God and use your money to do so, or you serve self by using your money. God has entrusted us with life, possessions, and, 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 and abilities that we would serve the living God with. Okay, you can't have both. You cannot serve two masters, one or the other. And so, we do not live to make money. We live uh, to, to, to work, to serve the living God. Verse 14, what's the reaction from the religious mob toward Jesus teaching on this subject? How did they react by Jesus simply saying, no man can serve two masters? Well, have a look at verse 14. And the Pharisees also, which were what? What were they? Covetous. Greedy, desired more. See, the problem with the Pharisees and the religious rulers, they didn't have a uh, works-based you know, salvation that they had to repent of. They were also full of sin and extortion and all the rest of it, covetousness, uh, like any other person faces. As a matter of fact, their religion covered their sin, lo looking like they were pious and good, but deep down inside, they loved what the natural man loves, self, pleasure, more than God. This is our problem, every one of us. This is why we need salvation, because we, we're in love with ourselves and possessions and the things of this world, rather than being in love with God. And so, look at how they react to Jesus. By the way, there's always two reactions. You can be you know, in the middle, but one, one point of your life, you're going to react one way or another. You're going to get saved, get right, follow the Lord, and start being a good steward, or you're going to simply you know, turn your back on God and live for self. There's always two reactions. Notice theirs. Have a look at verse 14. And the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things, and they what? Deride him. You know what this means? It means turning up the nose, to snare and scoff. In other words, he teaches them this, and now they do this. <laughs> Imagine that. You're preaching, and you're teaching on these, you know, 
Jesus, all your sin, everyone, you know, self or the Savior. <laughs> By the way, we get this most of the times on the street. You do it regularly enough and you're going to get this reaction. Who do you think you are? Well, he hit, he hit a nerve, didn't he? For them to react this way, something was stirred up. And in verse 15, Jesus explains to the Pharisees that what man values and esteems in high regard is an absolute, look at this, abomination in the sight of God. Look at verse 15. And he said unto them, Ye are that which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your what? Heart. So you look the part, but God knows your heart. You look religious, but God knows your heart. You justify yourself before men, but God knows your heart. And then notice what he says. He says this. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. What do men esteem? Money, position, material things. What does God value? What does God esteem? Faithful, servant to him, loving him, serving him. Uh, with your whole mind, body and soul. And by the way, if you love God, you'll love your neighbor. If you love God and you do have money, you'll help your friend, family, someone who's in genuine need. This is, the, this is where it's leading up to because these Pharisees had much, but they didn't help. That's why Jesus gives his uh, parable on the, the uh, you know, Good Samaritan. Remember the Good Samaritan uh, the, uh, you know, talks about the priest and the Levi going past and not helping someone that was in genuine need. They had money to help, but they didn't help. Why? Because they were full of self. Some of them would help in certain circumstances, perhaps, to show themselves up. Remember when Jesus told the story about the widowed woman that gave her two mites and the Pharisees that gave from their abundance. Again, showing, showing the heart of the issue. And so, we see verse 16 to 17, Jesus shifts the attention of the Pharisees to a message of the law and prophets. Look at, the, look at verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John, and he says, since that time the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. Now, the kingdom of God was somewhat being revealed by the law and the prophets, which were, by the way, types and shadows which testified and pointed to Christ. And when John the Baptist appears, he paves the way by introducing the king of the kingdom or the king of kings. And the religious covetous people were to occupy the, the under, uh, were, 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 were undermining, if you will, Christ in, in, in a way where they rejected John the Baptist. Uh, in verse 17, he says, it is easier for heaven... And earth to pass, then one title or one tittle of the law to fail. This statement conveys the impossibility of the law failing to do everything that God purposed the law to do. And so Jesus stresses the point by alluding to commas. That's how important the word of God is. To the very decimal that we don't tamper with the law and the prophets which pointed to Christ and then the prophet that uh, simply comes after 400 years of silence says here he is everything the law and the prophets predicted here he is and uh, he lifts Jesus up that he may increase and that people will look and live and follow and through him true salvation will come to every man
In verses 19 to 31, Jesus now tells them a sobering story about the reality of hell. And it's like Jesus uses this account to help sober up those that were earthbound and cared more about doing their own will than submitting to the will of God. And so now we see not only the context of the passage, but number two, we go to the character of this rich man. Uh, the main subject of this story is that a certain rich man died and woke up in hell, the Bible says, being in torment. And Jesus conveys this story to serve a warning, I believe, to all who wish to reject the will of God by living for self and rejecting the word of God. Someone said regarding this passage, we have every reason to believe that Jesus gave us an actual case history, one he knew from an eternal perspective. So please understand this before we get into that, that this rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich, and Lazarus didn't go to hell because he was poor. Understand that from get-go. Uh, people end up in hell because they reject Jesus Christ. They reject the will of God or the plan of salvation for that time. People go to hell because they reject the word of God. All right, but he's just given us a story here that you know, would be an account of one that really loved himself and served self. So by reading this account, you will conclude that the rich man went to hell because he rejected the law and the prophets. And he loved the pleasures uh, of this life more than God. All right? So number one, money is not normally a sign of God's direct blessing. That's what we learn. He was rich. See, not all rich people are blessed by God. By the way, let me just say this. It's, it's okay to be rich, but it's how you use your riches and how you funnel the blessings of God. But in essence, it's not always uh, a direct blessing from God because you're rich. This is some people believe that if you're successful and you're rich, then God must be blessing you. Not all the time. Not all the time. Read your Bible and you'll see that not all the time. And now we know by reading 1 Timothy chapter 6 that gain is not godliness. So the measure of your bank account doesn't mean you're godly. But it's okay to be rich as long as you know, you're doing it in a proper way and you're faithful with those riches and you know how to funnel them and, and, and God is simply, yeah, it can be that God is blessing you. Thank God for the blessings of God. But it's not always the case as we see that this man was wealthy and rich and ended up in hell. Number two, no money in the world. No money in the world can buy you heaven. You know, some might think and say that money can buy you happiness. It might, but it can't buy you heaven. No man can ever pay their way into heaven. It's all paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. And by the way, Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to enter into heaven. You say, why? Because those riches and the pleasures of this life are a stumbling block. Now, with God, it's possible. The man has to be willing. Amen? Matthew Henry said, Plenty and pleasure are very dangerous to many, a fatal temptation to luxury. And sensuality and forgetfulness of God. The, main, the, the man might have uh, been happy if he had not had great possession and enjoyment. So sometimes, uh, for certain people, it's probably better that you didn't have that money because it became a stumbling block for you to come to Christ. This reminds me of uh, the Proverb 30 and uh, verse 7 to 9. He says this, Two things have I required of thee, deny me there uh, not before I die. He says, remove far from me vanity and lies give me neither poverty or riches feed me with the food convenient for me lest I be full and what deny thee and say who is the Lord or lest I be poor and still and take the name of God in vain 
And so this is his two desires that he had. I thank God for people that are blessed, have a brain, they work hard, God blesses them, make money, and they know how to use it. But for the majority, even poor people that are not rich have a desire for pleasure and lust and to live for self and have a living, uh, you know, uh, live it up attitude. Now, let's have a look at verse 19. There is a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously. How often? Every day. Every day. It was Christmas. It was a wedding. It was a, I'll tell you, he was having a buffet every day. You know how sometimes you have a buffet and buffets can be wonderful and nice. You get to select everything here, there, and it's a celebration. You know, someone got married or something of that nature, whatever. But this man, every day, he had like a six-course dinner. Can you imagine that? <laughs> this, he fed sumptuously every day. Now, I want you to understand, there's nothing wrong with having, you know, a banquet. But as we read from Peter... There are people that have it in what? Excess. They work for this. They work for pleasure. They work for just to feed and drink and, and, and all the other entertainment that we see in the world today. So this man fed in such a way that he had gourmet, expensive dishes. And it's, not, it's okay to have it once a blue moon or every now and then. But he had it every day. Every day. Now this gives us an indication that he was a rich man living it up. He had the attitude of eat, drink, and be merry. No care for eternity in view. And this is the majority of our society, isn't it? I mean, I lived like that before I knew the Lord. Man, I was, I was earning close to six figures. I, I, I would go out, you know, most of the times breakfast, lunch, uh, and buy things and, 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 and just wouldn't care, just throw money. I was making money, I would just throw money. And so I was living like that before I met the Lord. Just live it up. Just, you know, have fun. Don't worry about being a good, faithful steward and, and uh, all the rest of it. Look at verses 20 to 21. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's, uh, rich man's table. It says, moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So now this tells us that the rich man had no regard for the poor. He had no regard for the genuine needs of others. The rich man didn't exhibit God's love. Uh, as a matter of fact, Abraham reminds the rich man that he was selfish and he was uh, somewhat comfortable, living in comfort. Look at verse 25. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art what? Tormented. The rich man was reminded of his life of ease and comfort with no regard, no regard for compassion toward others. He's also reminded by Abraham that he was reaping what he had sowed. He says, now you are Lazarus. He's comforted and, he, and you're tormented. William MacDonald said, how terrible will be the moment for each lost sinner at the great white throne when God awakens his memory. And it's so true. Now I want to labor on this point here. I want you to see the curse of the rich man. The curse. For such an ungodly, loving pleasure more than God, not caring for the needs of others, attitude. Verse 22 to 23. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried away by the, by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes 
been in torments. And saith Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Now it's said that Abraham's bosom is a poetic description of heaven, paradise. It's opposite than hell, of course. It's a place of comfort. And uh, we see by this that when death comes, it changes everything, right? That's it. Some think that, that once you die, that's it. You go on the grave. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's just the beginning of eternity. All right? We see that very clearly, that there was consciousness taking place. One day, by the way, we will die. And the story was told, by the way, of a gravestone inscription that read, Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. Yeah. No. No, if you rejected God and you rejected God's plan of salvation, you're in hell being in torment. You're experiencing consciousness. You're not in the grave hoping nothing happens. No. This is the beginning of eternity, never ending. And if you reject God, then you will end up where this rich man ended up. Death is the beginning of a whole new existence in the eternal realm. Once your soul or your spirit leaves your body at the time that you die, yes, your body will be buried, but your soul and your spirit will either go to eternal uh, life to be with Jesus or eternal death to be with the devil. By the way, the devil's not running hell. You're not going to have a good time and be a soldier down there thinking that hell is a party. No, the Bible specifically says it is a place of torment. Now, verse 23 disproves the notion of soul sleep between death and the resurrection. This verse proves that there is a conscious existence beyond the grave. So in hell, the rich man could see, hear, speak, feel, reason, remember, the rich man was fully conscious. And so hell is a place of eternal torment. Look at verse 24. And he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger and cool my tongue for what? I am what? I am what? Tormented in the what? In this flame. Oh, preaching passion doesn't mean I want you to be tormented, but it has to be preached and it has to be noted because it wasn't put there for fun. Uh, many think that it's a parable. And I said to these JWs on a Friday night when we were talking about this account, they said, it's a parable. I said, I'll give it to you. It's a parable. What's the parable trying to convey? Oh, we must be kind. No. That's part of the parable, but majority of the parable talks about a place called hell, torment and, uh, and, 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 and burning in the flame, and later on seeing that this man wanted his brothers not to come to such a place. I mean, if it was a parable, it's conveying a serious truth here. Hell is real. It's a place of suffering. It's forever. That's what it's conveying. As a matter of fact, if we compare Scripture with Scripture, we see that, uh, uh, you, know, uh, you know, very to the point, and we'll do that in a moment, but he says he, he was in tormented, he was tormented in his flame, which speaks of pain, anguish, suffering. Albert Barnes says the word hell, he means therefore that dark, obscure, and miserable place, far from heaven, where the wicked shall be punished forever. So the great gulf fix reminds us that 
uh, it is indeed an eternal place of punishment and there's no way out, one way ticket, and it's done. Many people think that they can go and die and then after they die and their kind of resurrection, that's when they'll ask God for mercy, but it's too late. Today's the day of salvation. Once you enter into eternity, that's it. It's done. Someone once said you can't have your cake and eat it too. But a lot of people live in that, you know, reality, you know, the, the myth of, you know what, I'll just get to my deathbed and then I'll call on the Lord. See, they know. But you can't mock God. And how do you know you're going to live a long life? What if you die instantly? Suddenly. And you can't mock God. And once you enter into eternity, that's it. Today is the day of salvation. Uh, Luke 16, 26 says, And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us. They would come from hence. There's, that's it. Someone said this, No traffic moves between heaven and hell. There's no traffic. Great gulf. This will be no escaping. The fires of hell once you're in there. The Hebrew writer says this, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? We won't. God has planned salvation through his son, preached it uh, right from the beginning, all the way through Jesus Christ, the apostles, and now the preaching of salvation continues. And you will not escape if you reject Christ. You will not. Verse 24, the rich man asks for mercy. He says, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, look at this, have mercy on me. Too late. No more mercy. God's patience has ran out. He's long suffering here on earth, not willing that any should perish. But once you step into eternity, that is it. You're done. The rich man was begging, but it was too late. Too late to ask for mercy. We must remember that hell was prepared for the devil and the demons. And anyone else that wants to follow his pernicious ways, anyone else that wants to think like Lucifer, anyone else that wants to rebel against God, because then he lies the question, why would a loving God won't forgive this rich man? He's asking for just a drop of water. Isn't that God cruel? Isn't God unloving? He's asking for mercy. Well, my answer to that is, is he gave us mercy via the cross. Why don't you look at the suffering Savior and see what God did for us and how he gave his son willingly for us and how he suffered and died for us. And that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how God yearns and reasons and draws, but men do not. And they resist and they uh, reject. So people end up in hell because they follow the way of Lucifer. Hardened, stubborn rebels that, that fight against God's way. Mock and scoff. God initially prepared hell for the demons. And for the devils. And we see that very clearly in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. I want you to see this. Look at verse 30, 31. 
And when the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he shall sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall he gather all nations, and he'll separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on the right hand, but the goats on the left hand. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come and be blessed of my father, and inherit the kingdom, look at this, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What's that say? That God planned and purposed eternal life and, and, and heaven and eternity for those that will believe those sheep that hear his voice are believers okay but there's a characteristic of believers okay i want you to see uh, look at this verse 25 for i was in i was a hungered and you gave me meat look at the characteristic of a sheep i was thirsty you gave me drink I was a stranger and you took me in, naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer saying, Lord, when saw thee a hungered and fed thee first and gave thee drink? When saw we a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? When? When was this? What does he say? He says, or, or when saw we sick and in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, insomuch as ye have done it unto one of what? The least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. You see, the characteristics of a sheep, a believer, is one that sees the need of a genuine brother and meets it. One that loves his brother. Ones that are willing to lay down. They're the characteristics of a sheep. Characteristics of a, 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 a child of the kingdom. But what's the characteristics of the goats? Have a look. Then, verse 41, shall he say unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into what? Everlasting what? What's everlasting mean? <laughs> it's everlasting, isn't it? And it's everlasting fire, isn't it? Does it? You know what it says here? Everlasting fire prepared for who? The devil and his angels. So the goats are going to simply be where the devil and the angels the, uh, uh, will be. Everlasting fire. He says, for I was a hungered and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you took me not in naked and you clothed me not sick and in prison and you visited me not. Then I shall say, uh, they also answered him saying, Lord, when saw we a hungered and thirst or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, insomuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting what? Punishment, but the righteous into what? Life eternal. See the contrast? That's very clear, isn't it? You can't get clearer than that. One of the clearest, clearest passages. Have a look at Revelation 19. Leave your, leave your finger in Luke 16. But have a look at Revelation uh, 19. And look at verse 20. And the beast was taken with him, and the false prophet that walked miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with what? Brimstone. Look at chapter 20, verse 10. 
And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be what? Tormented day and night forever and ever. So who's in the lake of fire being tormented day and night forever and ever? Well, the Antichrist, the false prophet, uh, Lucifer, the devil, the fallen angel. But have a look at Revelation 21. Look at this. 21, look at verse 8. So not only these people, but look at this. But the fearful, and who? The unbelieving, and the abominable, the murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the what? Second death. The se this is the description found in Revelation uh, chapter 20, verse 10. That they will burn every day, forever and ever. That's the description. So not only the false prophet, uh, the beast, the antichrist, if you will, Lucifer, but now any unbeliever. Any unrepentant sinner. Have a look at uh, Revelation 14. Look at Revelation 14 and look at verse 9. I want you to see this. Uh, this is a serious thing. Hell is not a place of fun and games. Not at all. I was, I was uh, giving a gospel track to a man last night. Coming around the corner, I said... Where will you spend eternity? He said, I'll be in hell with all, where all the good girls are. And William was actually preaching to a man the gospel and he turned around and giggled. <laughs> I said, what's so funny? You have William preaching eternity, gospel, life, death here and he, gravi he, 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 he gravitated to what? A man making fun of God's judgment. And I said, I found it kind of witty. I said, brother, that's silly. It's not, it's not a laughing matter. And, and, and eternity is going to determine that. And, and it's going to be too late, like it was for this rich man. Too late. Look at this, verse 9, Revelation 14. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be what? Tormented with fire and brimstone. And in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. And they had no rest day or night who worshipped the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. You know when that day comes, when the Antichrist will issue the mark of the beast, it comes with it uh, worship and that worship is, is technically to Lucifer. We, ha we are seeing high influctuation of people following the occult and Lucifer and everything that is associated with Hollywood. We're seeing it in a very subtle way and, and some Christians are even blinded to the fact. But listen, one day there will be a, a man standing up demanding worship like it was in the day of Nebuchadnezzar, but more fierce. And there are people be people in that day, they'll say no, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and be willing to go on the fire, and say so I won't take it, but those that do take it, are Satan worshippers, 
You can't be in the middle. You're going to have to choose. You're either going to be a sheep or a goat. You, you, there's, no one, there's no middle ground. You can be raised up in a Christian home and hear the Bible thunder and pound and the plan of salvation over and over and again and grow up to be an apostate, a God-hating heathen, and you'll pay for it. You will pay for it. God will judge you. To whom much is given, much is required. It's not fun and games. It's a serious thing. And, and eternity will declare it. All these people, Lucifer has people on a puppet with strings and trying to just control them with temptations. But you are responsible for yielding. You are responsible for eating. You are responsible for yielding. You're responsible. God doesn't make you do it and the devil doesn't make you do it. You're responsible. I want you to see the unbelievers will be in hell in absolute agony. Have a look at Luke chapter 13, please. Look at verse 22. And he went through the city and the villages, teaching, journeying, journeying toward Jerusalem, and said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many I say unto you will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up, he has shut the doors. So in other words, there'll be a time where people want to come in, but it's too late. Now, listen to me, now, strive in. Now, because once you die, it's too late. And ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I want. I know you're not. One of the greatest marks of salvation is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Do you agree with that? One of the marks of a true Christian, saved Christian, is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Verse 20, whence ye are, and look at verse 26, then shall ye begin to say, we have eaten and drunken in thy presence, and thou hast taught us in the street. That he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. Just because you were under the ministry of Jesus Christ when he taught, it does not mean you are saved. You must believe. You must repent. You can be in church here today and hear the word and say, Lord, I went to church and I heard the word. Good on you. What did you do with it? What did you do with the word that you heard? That, that's, my, that, that, look, listen, that's what makes the difference. You're hearing, young people, that's what makes the difference. Hearing the word and believing the word. Hearing the word and believing the word. That's the wise builder. He's a doer of the word. And being a doer is believing on the word of God. All right, have a look. Verse 28. Then shall be weeping. Look at this, the description. There shall be what? Weeping and gnashing of what? Wow. So what's going to happen to these people? They're, they're going to go into a place that is outside of God's kingdom where you see, 
look, he says, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourself, what? Thrust out. Wow. Sounds like the rich man Lazarus. Saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. By the way, when that day comes, we're going to be feasting with the prophets and Abraham and the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm looking forward to that day. I am looking forward to the day that these people that rejected to enter in the straight gate and rejected to receive Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, look at this, will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's how God describes it. You can't undermine it. You can't explain it away. That's not annihilation. That's consciousness. That's your feeling. You have feeling and you're in torment. You say, oh, that's not a loving God. That's a just God, my friend. 120 years in the making, the ark was being built. And what did righteous preacher Noah get? I would say he would have been mocked and laughed at. <laughs> like we do today. Like the prophets were laughed at and stoned. Like Jesus was mocked when he was on that cross, wagging their heads. Why would a holy God let anyone in to his kingdom? Why? Because he loves us. You see, people don't focus on that. Rather, they want to focus on why would a loving God send anyone to hell to burn for it? You know why they say that part of them? Because you want to enjoy your sin here on earth and you want to sin and you want to rebel against God's ways and you want to think that there's nothing that comes after. You're not going to be accountable for the way you lived. And I'm saying to you, and Jesus is saying to you, and the Word of God is saying to you, you will be accountable for the way you lived. God gave you life. How are you using it? God loves you. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants to save you. He, he wants to redeem you. He wants you to enter in through Christ. The only door to salvation, like Noah's Ark, there was only one door to escape the judgment. But you know why people end up in hell and they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth? You know why? I say it all the time. Because they love their sin more than the Savior. Go back to Luke 16, have a look. Look at verse 27 to 28. I want you to see this carefully. It seems that Lazarus from this verses was trying to witness to the rich man. Have a look. Verses 27 to 28. Then he said, I pray thee, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may what? What's that word there? Testify unto them. Lest they also come into this place of, here it is again, what is it? Torment. So what did, what did he want him to do? Go, preach, testify, witness, I don't want my family to end up here. So it seems perhaps Lazarus was witnessing, as well as begging, witnessing to this rich man. How did he know? How did he know? 
He was perhaps echoing the laws and the prophets which pointed to Christ. And I want you to see, he says, send him. All of a sudden, we see a man in hell wanting to be in missions. He wanted to support missions and missionaries in hell. Wow! Send him. That's what a sent one is. He's a missionary. He evangelizes and preaches it. And now he wanted to be involved. But listen, it's too late. What, did, what, what was the answer? When the rich man realizes no more mercy for him, he turns his attention to his brothers. And it seems that the rich man is now a believer desiring to send missionaries. And what was the answer? Missionaries from heaven, by the way, or from this uh, Abraham's Verse 29, Abraham saith unto him, they have, well, who? Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. How do we hear today? Here, here it is. The law and the prophets. The Old Testament pointing to Christ. Uh, by the way, we are privileged people. We have all the canon of scripture. Back then they had the law and the prophets which pointed to Jesus Christ. Read the book of Isaiah. People say that's another gospel. The good news. A saviour. Suffering saviour in the book of Isaiah. Abraham makes it clear that the message of the prophets is good enough. It's good enough. Moses gave the law, which was a schoolmaster, leading us to who? Christ. The prophets were God's watchmen, warning people of God from the impending judgment. Moses and the prophets were used by God to pen down the scripture which pointed to Christ. Jesus said very carefully to the Pharisees, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are which testify of me. And you will not come to me that ye may have life. Same word used, testify. Let Lazarus go testify to my brothers. Witness the scriptures, the law, the prophets, testify of Christ, the Savior, the Redeemer. A man of God said, there is enough Bible truth in David and Daniel, Ezra and Ezekiel, and even in the mighty Isaiah alone, for them to know the truth about such things. And then, too, there is Job and Jeremiah. How many more witnesses must God send? No, they have God's word in their mother tongue and let them believe that. They have it. But then what was the response in verse 30? Look at this. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went in unto them from the what? From the dead, they will what? Repent. All of a sudden now, he's a charismatic preacher, missionary. They need signs and wonders to believe. No, the rich man was certain that his brothers would believe if they saw Lazarus being raised from the dead. Now, who can remember? Ironically, a man named Lazarus raised from the dead in the times where Jesus was alive. Can you remember that account? What did they do? Well, there were some that believed on the Lord. And there are others that what? Wanted to kill both Lazarus and Jesus. But you know what Jesus was doing at that particular time? He was demonstrating power that people would believe on him for the coming resurrection. The miracle itself won't cause people to believe. The resurrection. 
that will take place, which is part of the gospel, is the very thing that Jesus was trying to convey. A person can believe in miracles and still not repent and believe God's word. Jesus, you know, simply makes it very clear that he is the resurrection and the life. And if one believes on him, though he be dead, he will live. That's what he was saying by this example of raising up Lazarus. These miracles were only pointing to him, the person. People could see the miracle and miss the person. And I say to you today, there are too many emphasis on miracles, so-called, and missing the person of Christ and who he is. And people go to hell for it. People are more concerned about healing of the flesh and the body and prosperity than being healed for their sin. By his stripes we are healed. Read the context when Peter repeats what Isaiah said and you'll see it's referring to our sin. Not talking being healed from diseases and infirmity and although God can heal us, he's talking about being, you know, our sin problem being dealt with. That's the problem here. The rich man did not repent. Look at verse 31. Interesting. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, look at this, neither will they be, what's that word there? Persuaded, though one rise from the dead. So you reject God's word, you're not going to believe anything, even if you saw miracles every day. And, and, and he uses the word he persuaded. You know what Paul did when he went and preached in the synagogue? He was trying to persuade people. You know what Jesus said, giving a parable, go out and compel them. So there's this compelling and persuading, using the word of God to beg people to repent, to warn people. The, Moses and the prophets and, and, and John and Jesus and the apostles were persuading this account here and Luke 16 is to help you and persuade you to what? Repent. That's what it's trying to do. Oh, but we want to see a miracle. Even if you saw a miracle, it's not going to do anything. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's able to do the work that God purposed it to do. It's powerful. And the reason why people undermine the word of God, listen, here it is again, because they love their sin. They love wickedness. They love Lucifer. They love lies. They love... Wick, they just love evil more than the light. Darkness more than the light. Evil more than good. Abraham reinforces the fact that God's word is final. If God's word is not going to persuade them, nothing will. Nothing will. You can, you can be raised from the dead yourself. And you can still be a Judas. Yeah. Jesus was amongst the twelve. Judas was amongst the twelve. And he saw more than you and I put together. And how did he turn out? And the reason why God puts these things here is so we can persuade you and compel you and beseech you and beg you. Because you don't want to go to such a place. 
People cannot, someone once said, be forced or frightened into trusting Christ. They must be persuaded to come. And the Holy Spirit of God works with the preacher to convict you of your sin and to convict you of, your, uh, of righteousness which is in Christ and to convict you of the coming judgment. And all these things, God makes them real in your heart and I believe them. No matter what you say, how many times you deny, I believe God's word over anyone, any day. And I believe God's going to do the work. You say, but no one's coming. Well, the Bible says that the majority won't come by their own will. So I'm not going to try to do 10 backflips here today to get your attention and start getting, you know, the, dim the lights and all the rest of it and play the music slowly so I can pull on your heartstrings because you can still come based upon emotion and never be saved. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to preach, thus saith the Lord. Well, you're not going to have a lot of people. It doesn't matter. I care more for your soul than for numbers. You say, as a preacher, have you been enticed? Absolutely. Who doesn't want God's house filled? But you don't fill it that way. You fill it by the preaching and the compelling and the persuading of God's word to, 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 to uh, simply uh, call the unbeliever to repentance. It's not popular ministry, is it? But was it ever popular for the prophets? Was it ever popular for John the Baptist to point out sin? No. Was it ever popular for Jesus? They crucified him. It's not popular. But listen, it's true. And that's what we need in a wicked world full of lies. You know who God rowed time and time again in the Old Testament? The false prophets that spoke in the name of God. And the Pharisees that deceived God's people, woe unto you. You know what he's saying? Destruction unto you. Condemnation unto you. Because mishandling the word of God and misleading souls to hell is a big crime. Lying to people. Oh, no, no, judgment's gonna, not going to come. And Jeremiah and Ezekiel have bleeding hearts compelling God's people to, to, to submit to God's judgment and, and they'll be fine, but no. Here comes the false prophets. It's okay, it's okay. Uh, let's go to Egypt and we'll be safe there. No, you're going to die there. That, you, you read it. You read the accounts. And those people like Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego that submitted Nehemiah under captivity, worship God still, was a light and a salt amongst them, were delivered. Now, in closing, let me say this to you. <clears throat> the rich man cried because of the reality of the torment. He cried because of the reality of the torment. The rich man cried because of the relief that he desired. He just wanted one drop of water. Didn't want a cup of water. Just one drop. No mercy was given. The rich man cried and he wanted to reach others. No. Listen, this is a big one. You know why he cried? You know why he cried from the pits of hell in agony. The rich man cried because he did not repent and he knew it. Look at verse 30. 
He says, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will what? This gives me a good indication that this is what he failed to do. Because repentance leads you to believe on the Lord. That's what it does. Repentance paves the way to believe on Christ. God dealing with unrepentant sinners is not a lack of love on his part. God's wrath upon the ungodly is just. God's wrath and justice uh, uh, toward God-hating people is an expression of his holiness. He's a just judge. And God does not punish people for no reason. There are biblical reasons to why people end up spending their eternity in hell and being punished in torment forever. Have a look. The next verse. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but his what? His long suffering. About what? That he's not willing that any should perish, but to do what? But all come the repentance. People perish and go to hell and face a life of eternal punishment and torment because they failed to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus. That's why, don't go blaming God. Don't say God's not loving. And No, no, he's more than loving. I mean, I know my God. He's patient. He's long-suffering. And he's merciful. But you, stiff-necked, stubborn human being, will not bow down and humble yourself and cry upon the name of the Lord. That's why you go to hell. And that's why you'll be in torment forever. That's why. So if you're, listen, if you end up in hell, don't go blaming the law, Moses, the prophets. Don't go blaming John or the apostles. Don't go blaming Jesus. Listen, don't go blaming me. I warned you. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you. He wants to forgive your sin. He wants to give you pardon. He wants to uh, give you a relationship with God. He wants to give you a home in heaven. He wants to teach you and lead you and wants to be your shepherd. Wants to love on you. Wants to bless you. Those things that we hear out there from those JWs, from SDAs and others like them are only there to cast doubt on God's character and his word. God is loving and God is holy. God is merciful and God is just. We can't separate the two. May God show you from what we've read today his true character. And I pray that you would repent. Listen to me very carefully and believe on the Lord. Listen, stop running. If you're here today, not stop running. Stop taking this, you know, in a way that's you know, undermines, yeah, she'll be right, mate. It's not, you're not okay without God and you're not okay without the Lord. Listen to me very carefully. Stop resisting if you're not saved. 
get right, get saved, follow the Lord, and, uh, and, and enjoy the promises of God that he has given us before the foundation of the world. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. God loves you, cares about you. He's not willing that any should perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, look at this, believes on him should not what? Perish, but have everlasting life. May you come to Christ. Stop delaying. Get right with God through Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray.